Look, Giddy, it's amazing. Two podcast hosts without a podcast. A thing like that ought to be worth a fortune to someone. Now, let me see. That's it. That's it. Two dudes, one double feature. They're always looking for podcast guest hosts. Now, listen. Listen, I know the show is not for kids, and the opinions they express are their own, but it's worth... This idea is worth a million dollars? All right, let's let's see if we can get them in. No, Gideon! Don't be stupid! Don't be crude! I mean, personally, I don't have much of an opinion on the matter, but you do what you want, it's okay. Wait, what? You can talk? You just never let me. You... You never let me. Gideon, Gideon, oh. Two dudes, one double feature, everybody. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Two Dudes, One Double Feature podcast, where two dudes watch two movies. And that is just about it. We're not even 10 seconds into the show, and you can probably already tell something is way different than usual. If you've been around long enough, you know that I am Allison Cola, otherwise known as The Dudette, Dude 3, or whatever current nickname I'm operating under. A while back, Dude 2, my wonderful boyfriend, approached me and asked if I would be interested in potentially recording an episode all by my lonesome. Well, not quite by my lonesome, because it's two dudes and you need two people to pull off the show. So once I figured out what two movies that I wanted to talk about, there was only one option that I could reach out to. So without further ado, ladies and germs of the internet, I would like to introduce you to a dear friend of mine, a writer, designer, a cricket lore enthusiast, and Disneyland College (laughs) program graduate of the Year of Our Lord 2020, Kai Schinkel. (laughs) Kai, welcome to the show. Oh, I... I don't know that I'd call myself a graduate. We all kind of got kicked out, but you know what? It makes me sound impressive, so I will take it. I mean, um, you lived through it, and you know, I did. <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead and just tell us about yourself? I know all about you, but nobody else does. So, uh, aside from the stuff I listed out, talk about yourself. Yeah, sure. My name is Kai. I am a game designer turned interaction designer who um, spent a little too much time at Disney and knows a little too much about Disney as a result, and um, mostly about the movie that we're going to be covering today, about Pinocchio. So um, I consider myself not uniquely qualified, but a little too qualified, and I'm excited to share what I can. I mean, if it makes you feel better, I've been labeled as the Disney lore enthusiast of the podcast. Like, we did a whole uh, episode on the Disney Golden Age previously, and that's where we talked about the original Pinocchio. Spoiler alert, we're talking about Pinocchio, not just one, (laughs) but two of them, because in... 2022 we had a very unique scenario where we had two pinocchio movies well 
more than that, but we're not talking about I think that one. Three. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not adding that. We're one. not going to talk about Polly Shore. We're not adding that one God. to the show. Not today. Missed opportunities. You'll have to bring me back. Let me talk about Polly. You Shore. know what? I'm chomping at the Joey bit. and Richard might actually take us up <laughs> on that. Uh, but we had a very unique scenario this last coming year where Disney and Netflix both put out versions of Pinocchio that were vastly different than the one we're used to, to varying degrees of success, I would say. Um, yeah. This is the second time, actually, that this has happened, which if I had a nickel for every two times Disney and Netflix went head to head, I'd have two nickels. It's weird that it happened twice. Fill in the rest of the Doofensmirch meme here. Um, the last time it <laughs> happened, I think it was with Jungle Book, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the Jungle Book live action and Mowgli came out right around the same exact time. If that's what the Netflix one was called, I did not watch that. Joey and I did, and oddly enough, in that scenario, Disney won. Like, the... Wow. (laughs) That is rare. What ended up happening in the Jungle Book one is uh, Netflix went way down the Uncanny Valley. And... Oddly oh. enough, this is back before every other movie announcement with Disney was a live action announcement. Um, John Favreau's Jungle Book was back in the day when Disney wasn't all oops, all live actions. And right. they actually stuck really close to the original story that they told and it ended up working well. Like it actually was really yeah, good. I didn't mind it. I thought it was one of the it's probably in my, if I had to rank the live action movies, none of them are good, but I would say The Jungle Book is in one of my top three. It was different enough, but still like honoring the original. And also it wasn't as dead faced as Lion King. So, you know, you take what you can yeah, get, right? Like I thought it was pretty me, good. For me, Jungle Book, Cinderella, and Pete's Dragon are my only acceptable live action movies with beauty and the beast i would bite you on the pete's dragon one you're (laughs) listen i like it that it's different okay big fuzzy dragon 100 percent. yes i have a elliot the dragon plush in my room right now okay i do i will concede i liked elliot's design and i'll eat up anything that carl urban is in because that man can act his way out of a trash can um other than that I'm not sure I was big on the plot changes, but like I it like was, it more. It for was the not as bad as like Lion no, King. We can all agree that Lion King is the second worst live action movie. <laughs> Before we get into right. that, yeah. um, I need to go ahead and get it established on your thoughts on the original Pinocchio, because me, Richard, and Joey all talked about it on a previous episode. Our basic consensus is that if Snow White was Disney's folly. Pinocchio was the more polished second draft, the second go at being a um, full motion picture. It it was an improvement on everything that was good about Snow White. That was our consensus. 100%. So in as brief (laughs) an explanation as you could possibly (laughs) give, um, tell me what drew you... Tall order. How about this? Tell me what drew you to the original Pinocchio. Like, why is that one of your favorite movies? Um... I mean, you put it as well as I think I would be able to put it. It is Disney at its best. They were coming down off of the high that was Snow White, and they had a million times the budget, and they were confident in their skills as animators. And this is when the nine old men were, like, in their 20s. So they are, like, college-age kids ready to go absolutely insane. And they did. And it's, 
it's the closest thing to like technical perfection from an animation standpoint you're going to get. It's some of the best music ever made. It's the theme of the whole company comes from this movie. Most of its characters are still mascots in all of the parks. Um, the majority of them were in like other movies and shows. Like everything about it is just like symbolic, I guess, for the company as a whole at this point. And the writing and character growth is like levels beyond what they even tried in Snow White. And that was what drew people into Snow White in the first place, right? When they didn't think animation could succeed as a medium. It was, hey, we actually grew attached to these characters. And Disney said, okay, bet. <laughs> we'll triple that response then. And I think they did. So Honestly, yeah. <laughs> You really could not put it better than that. Full disclosure for anyone listening, I liked Pinocchio, but after meeting you, you were the one who made me love Pinocchio. Like, nobody can see this, but Kai right now is wearing a Pinocchio sweater. Like, <laughs> isn't that the Loungefly one? Yeah, it, it is. It is perfection, yeah. and I've just grown so much love, especially for Jiminy Cricket, for just the whole thing I've, I've learned to appreciate it more because of you and that's why i had to have you on for this particular episode unfortunately we're not talking about the original pinocchio <laughs> oh what a segue disney in their bizarre need to remake everything um they decided to release pinocchio as a live action movie and we were all so excited about it. Like, our whole friend group, we thought it was going to be great. They had Robert Zemeckis attached to the project. Every trailer was leading us to be excited about this. Like, we really enjoyed some of the casting. We raised eyebrows at some of the other casting. Props to their marketing department, for sure. They loaded those trailers. It looked like it was going to be great. They had a great setup in terms of the cast, in terms of the production, and after a long time in, like, development hell... I was excited to see what they were finally putting out. I was like, after this long, it has to be, like, really polished. And, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I thought. <laughs> For anyone who is in need of a masochistic, like, two hours, however the hell long it is, it is on Disney+. Plus. You can go watch it if you want. But we have thoughts. A lot of thoughts. Like... <laughs> The the live-action Pinocchio, just like the rest of the live-action movies that Disney has been putting out, follows the basic candor of the original uh, animated story, but this is where our issues come in. They tried to add a whole lot of weird stuff that didn't really work, and then they didn't stick with the stuff that did work. Right. I mean, this is a problem with every one of the live-action remakes, but I feel like it's at its worst in this one. It's... They can't just stick to the original and just remake that shot for shot like they did with Lion King, right? They saw the backlash to that. They didn't want to do that. But they also couldn't commit to going in an entirely new direction. So they, like, pick and choose new elements to throw in and then just do nothing with them. So it just doesn't mesh with what is supposed to be going on. Like, the plot of the original just feels like it'll step away sometimes and then this new stuff will come in. No payoff no quality content coming in there it's just it's a hodgepodge sort of disaster we have a page and a half of just what the fuck notes because oh yeah <laughs> we were watching this like we did a watch party you me a friend of ours and we were just riffing on the entire movie because we, this is one where we can't take it seriously <laughs> i don't think any of us could <laughs> 
Um, like no. at the very beginning, you've got it opens up just like in the original story where you've got Jiminy Cricket narrating. Um, who it, Joseph Gordon Levitt, to his credit, is not a bad cricket. He's not fully going for like the uh, ukulele Ike impression that we are all so used to, but he puts right. his own spin on it. Um, he does really good. He can be a bit of a weird Deadpool. Yeah, I thought he was one of the highlights in terms of his performance. Sometimes <coughs> you're biased. <laughs> a little. <laughs> I am biased. I am biased. I will say that. I was excited when he was cast. I was like, I think he's got like the right kind of voice for it. He has some singing experience that they don't utilize. Um, and I thought he did a good job of it. Wasn't an impression like we usually get with like the other Jiminy voice actors. Um, it was a little forced at times. Like, oh, he's trying so hard to do this like Midwestern Southern accent. It feels forced. But I thought that he put heart into it and that is more than i was expecting from the rest of what yeah, we saw here so i'll give him credit where credit is due not a big fan of how they dealt with his narration yeah. but that's another let me matter. bounce it off of that for just like two seconds and say that none of our complaints are really with the cast themselves because oh yeah most of the time i would argue that the cast does the best with what they're given but a cast can only do so much good with what they're given as far as writing goes that n no amount of Oscar-deserving acting can get them out of it. Like, you had such a stacked cast in this. Like, we had uh, we had Cynthia Revo as the Blue Fairy. We have Tom Hanks as Geppetto. I forget who played Pinocchio. Um... Oh, I thought I wrote down. I also forget. Yeah, I thought I wrote down uh, some of the. I think it's like voices. Benjamin. Benjamin. Something. He sounded great as um, Pinocchio. Like he he had the. Yep, he sounded little great. Kid voice. His singing voice was great. Um. Oh my gosh, what is the name of who played on this drum? It, it's uh, Keegan Michael Key, who I am. He killed absolutely it. He killed listen, it. Listen, I don't know if you watched Megadoon, but he is absolutely killing it on that show. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He was so well suited for this role. He, I would probably actually state that he was like the best cast in this, in this whole. Like Tom Hanks was pretty good. He kind of, um, it feels like he gave up halfway through. If I'm being entirely honest with his performance, and I can't blame him for that. And maybe it's just because like he, he didn't have as many scenes to work with, but he gave like three thousand percent in all of them. Oh, absolutely. Like he. He probably knew what kind of movie he was in, and he was like, fuck it, I'm going to give a great-ass performance anyway. And Keegan-Michael Key, hats off to you. Our little ratty cricket top hats off to you. <laughs> but with Tom Hanks, yeah, it is weird because he's given so... He's given stuff to work with. Like, they have this weird backstory song that opens up at the beginning. They don't oh, open God. with When You Wish Upon a Star. It's like this weird backstory song that establishes that... Um, spoiler alert for the whole dang thing. Uh, Geppetto had a son and the son's dead and he's alone. So he's making, uh, Pinocchio to kind of like, he doesn't really give a motivation for why he's building Pinocchio. Like in the original, at least you can buy like, oh, Geppetto's a toy maker. He's making a little toy puppet and he just falls in love with the kid and enjoys him. This, it's a little more vague. It's like, is he doing it specifically because he misses his son and he's trying to replace him? Is it like an effigy? There was a lot of it's like, really weird uh, 
takes with this backstory. The whole, like, oh, I won't sell my clocks because my wife loved them. There was no real payoff or purpose oh for that. God. I don't know why that was so heavily focused on. But there were scenes dedicated to just that little fact. The and I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, th th that's another thing that we notice is there's a lot of start and stops with, like, plots that go nowhere. Like, the guy yep. who shows up to buy the clocks is never seen again. You think <laughs> no. it's like, oh, is he trying to buy out Geppetto for some reason? Like, is Geppetto going to lose his house and he needs the money? But Geppetto's just being weird and grieving. It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> No, no, it, nothing goes anywhere. That's that's the problem. It's either like a weird amount of like setup, too much time spent on setup for no payoff, or like it's just like a one-time, one-off thing that could have been cut and frankly should have been cut to make room for anything else. You mean like the Great Wall of Cameos on the clock wall? Right, yeah. There's like four scenes that just focus on look how many IPs we own. Aren't we it's clever? It's such a weird choice. Like instead of following along or going through uh, stuff that is already beloved, like we were mad that they cut out Little Wooden Head because that's a cute little establishing song that is used in the original to just show Geppetto's playful side. What they do instead is they it would cut have to been this one wall. thing. Yeah, they cut to this. Wall. Yeah, if they cut it, it would have been one thing. But instead, they like replace everything they remove with something that's a little less good. I don't even know the name of the song they replace Little Woodenhead with. I don't care to remember the lyrics of that song. Nobody does. The one thing that they do bring in is Joey's absolute favorite line of the movie is Pinocchio, holy smokio. That is a line. That's it. That's one that of the That is a line. Yes. Somebody had to read that. Somebody had to approve that. And Tom Hanks had to speak it in front of a camera. <laughs> I don't know how that got passed. <laughs> I don't... There was so... And like in the original, the wall of clocks is a cute, charming thing. It's tied into the score of the movie, so they play like music, and it's a bunch of visual gags, and it's it's cute, it's charming, it's showing off A, the animation skill that the animators felt so confident in, and B, just giving you a feel for the environment this movie is set in and its characters, instead of just... Hey, look, Snow White is here. Look, it's Woody. Isn't that isn't that funny? You know these guys. I think having Snow White there would have been great if they stopped. But then it goes on to, like, Roger Rabbit. And wasn't there a Dumbo one, too? Yeah, there was a Dumbo one. There was Toy Story. There was Sleeping Beauty. Snow White. There's a few more that I wrote down that I can't find there now. There was too many of them. It's a lot. Like if they if <laughs> they stopped lot. at Snow White, it would have been a cute little cheeky nod, and we wouldn't have been we wouldn't have been riffing on it. But it, it was just such a weird moment to put so much intense focus on. Like it, it's not even the background joke. They throw the camera right at it and are like, "See, see, see, focus here." Repeatedly, yeah. there are. Like I said, there's like three or four scenes that are just putting these in your face. And I don't think that was, I don't think that moved the plot forward. Sorry, Disney. Bad grade. That That's the whole theme of this movie is just focusing on weird parts. Like, right. we're getting through and, you know, uh, Geppetto wishes for Pinocchio to come to life. And another weird plot point is... It's not weird because it's in the original, but you get Cynthia Erivo coming in as the Blue Fairy. And I was so excited when I heard that she was cast because I know that she's a good singer. 
And I wanted to hear her do a rendition of When You Wish Upon a Star. And I wanted to see her, I wanted to see Blue do more. That was one of the biggest areas of opportunity from the original. There's very few female characters in the original. There's kind of only two, and one is a fish who doesn't speak, so I don't think that's really worth counting. And then Blue only appears like twice on screen and like has some lines at the very end. And there was a lot of opportunity to flesh out her role more. It was very fleshed out in original drafts of the 1940 movie and just cut for time constraints or because they want to focus more on other relationships. And I really thought they were going to take the chance with this casting, with this remake, to make her more of a prominent character again. And uh, and they didn't. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler. Cynthia Revo brings Pinocchio to life and dips for the rest of the movie. That is it. Does not even show up in the scenes that she's in in the original. She's not there during the cage scene. She does not speak at the end. Nothing. Nada. It, it's so bizarre because it's like, why would you get someone who is so talented and have them do only one thing? I, my literal review of this movie on Letterboxd was, imagine being Cynthia Revo getting paid to do one scene, record one song for the album, and then dipping to the bank with your paycheck. I mean, I respect that. I wouldn't want to be involved with this any more than that either. And she did fantastic on her rendition of the song. That was probably one of the highlights of the opening. And up through around that point is... Like, up to that point, I was like, this is okay. This is going to be a decent film. They've got good stuff going here. The cast is great. And then it's all downhill from here, baby. You're you are completely right. And you know what? In hindsight, maybe Cynthia Revo saw the script and was like, I want to be in this as little as possible. In that case, yeah, cut me off might, right here. I'm leaving after this. No more. She might have picked the opportunity and left. But oh my god, you're right. This is literally up until Pinocchio coming back to life. It is pretty much almost shot for shot like the original movie. After this, we get the weird deviations. Like Cut to the next day where Geppetto is supposed to be sending Pinocchio off to school and the plot is supposed to be taking off. And we have a bunch of weird setups, including our absolute favorite new character <laughs> in this whole movie, the fucking seagull. <laughs> Put some respect on her name. That is Sophia. Um, she kind of, I don't know how to describe what role she takes. I would say she kind of takes Blue's place in some parts, and in others, she is only there to undermine things that Pinocchio and Jiminy did themselves in the original. She does not need to be there, is what I'm saying. She takes the role of existing characters and does not bring anything new to the table. And um, Dizzy must have really thought that their trash jokes with Forky were just, like, real knee slappers, because that's the whole bit of her character. She eats garbage. That's kind of it. I could not stand this character. And that's, again, absolutely no shame to the actress Lorraine Bracco. I'm sure you had fun doing this, and I'm so sorry, but I cannot stand this character. <laughs> I thought the seagull was absolutely useless. I think I was messaging you when I was watching the movie for the first time, and I was just like, if I have to see that seagull one more freaking time, I'm gonna... That's what everyone... So I'm I'm more or less known um, among all my Disney-enjoying friends as the one who likes Pinocchio too much. So I got a lot of messages when this first came out and people watched it. And every single one, if there is one consistent piece of feedback that I was getting sent to me, it was, I hate this fucking seagull. Every single time. And you know what? Fair. It's the most glaring 
example of this is useless and contributes nothing to the plot. I don't know. I would argue that there's one more piece. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. On the way to school, Pinocchio literally stops to look at a pile of shit. This is not a- It is not a one-time gag. It is like a 30-second long, repeatedly comes back to it. He, like, sniffs it, picks it up. It's a long- He's looking at it. It's a long bit. I don't understand why the focus on this. Like, it's like the clock thing. They intensely focus on this shot of Pinocchio looking at a pile of horse shit in the road. And- Admittedly, we get the one bright spot in the movie where, as we mentioned, Keegan-Michael Key, Honest John, and Gideon come in and provide us with a bit of relief because Keegan-Michael Key is just hamming it up. Oh, yeah. And he's killing the song, too. Oh, yeah. He still gets to do high diddle dee which is one thing that we are super grateful for. He gets one super really cringe line where he, like, references... Uh, like he's trying to get Pinocchio to be an actor, right? So he can sell him off to Stromboli. He's saying, you can be an influencer. We need to give you a stage name. How about Chris Pine? I wanted to die. I'm like, <laughs> he's the only one who could have gotten away with that and make it even somewhat groanable. Like, yeah. at least when he stopped talking about that and started doing high diddle dee I was able to forgive him. Right. But, damn, who looked at this script and approved that joke? That's what kills me. Like, we had Zemeckis directing this. What happened, man? Come on, dude. I mean, Robert Zemeckis has a weird history when it comes to movies. I mean, everybody knows him from Back to the Future. Right. But my God, this on your resume, <laughs> it, it, it's its like a coffee stain. Oh, yeah. It just gets oh, worse yeah. the more you try and rub it out. It's a shit stain, even, I would say. It is a shit stain. <laughs> The, the, the shit stain in the road is the metaphor for the movie. Yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe maybe one of the animators was like, hey, subliminal messaging. I need to get it out here that I hated working on this. Maybe I'm giving them a little too much credit, but I'd like to that, believe. That's a conspiracy theory I would totally believe in because <laughs> it, it just, it, it, it keeps getting weirder. It tries to follow along with the Reg story like Pinocchio is... Actually, no, he does go to school. He does, yeah. That's that is one part. That's one area where it majorly differs. Um, Jim catches up to him. He does this whole, like, hey, forget these guys. Let's go to school thing. And he actually does listen this time and makes it all the way. that. That's one of the actual um, issues with his character for me, I would say. He is so perfectly obedient. It does not feel like his the same His name Pinocchio, character. you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's because Pinocchio goes to school, but he gets tossed out by the schoolmaster for what was the reason? Just because he's a wooden boy? Just because he's a puppet. Yeah, there's this weird underlying. It's not even quite a plot point because they never follow through on it, but it he no one treats him like he is real. It wasn't that big of a deal in the original. Um, all the other kids kind of treated him the same, even if he was a puppet, but it's, they really give him a complex in this one where it's, I want to be real, not for my father, but because I'm being treated differently and I'm not like good enough as a puppet. Which you can explore if you follow through with it. Exactly. But with Pinocchio actually going to school, it just is weird because then he's like, he, he gets kidnapped by Honest John and Gideon and then taken against his will almost to go to Stromboli. And 
Jiminy, instead of in the original getting mad at Pinocchio and being like, well, fine, if you think you know better than I do. <laughs> that's my horrible Jiminy Cricket impression, ladies and gentlemen. Wasn't bad, wasn't bad. Thank you. Uh, Jiminy, instead of letting Pinocchio fuck around and find out, gets trapped in a jar. That is another... If I had to list, like, my major, major grievances that might actually be at the top, in the original, they were deuteragonists. They both had character growth to go through, and all of Jim's shortcomings, all his fuck-ups, were because of him. Because he was prideful, or didn't want the responsibility, or had, like, a temper tantrum. And he gets better by the end, and that's why he earns the little badge thing. That's the whole point, is their character growth. And it's just entirely cut out. Neither one of the characters has any agency, I would say. Things just happen to take them out of the narrative or move them into another situation. Or things are hinted at. Like, Jiminy Cricket is, like, hinted at having, like, a uh, a history of being a scoundrel by the Blue Fairy in this one. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what it is! No, and it's never followed through on. No, it drives us crazy because you and I are both lore enthusiasts. We will <laughs> dive into every deep meaningful or even surface level line and be like what does this mean what is that how can we interpret this right and there's nothing to go for it's like we're in a labyrinth of dead ends that's exactly how i would put it i was when the one of the first trailers came out i was very excited because i was like there's this conversation like you mentioned between the fairy and jiminy where it's like oh yeah you've you know you've been avoiding responsibility your whole life why don't you just do something for once and he's like okay i'll do this temporarily and it like kind of tries to set up that he has like issues with attachment or taking on jobs or something like that and i really thought they were going to use that to make him more of a character instead of yeah they somehow managed to downplay his role from the original which is pretty impressive it's absolutely incredible because Jiminy Cricket is one of the like tentpole mascots mm-hmm. Disney like I've noticed them using him a little bit more he got to appear in the parks as part of Disney's throwback night I sent you as many TikToks as I could possibly find about roach appearances he was also an animal kingdom well he's an animal kingdom most years for Earth Day but he was there for quite a while this last weekend for their 25th anniversary, I think. And he's yeah. in the parade over there. Um, he's he's still quite a staple in the parks, even if he's lost his firework hosting privileges. Um, Rest in peace, Wishes. I'll never forget you, Wishes. But I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've even pointed out to me that he's the cast member representative, like for traditions, right? He is, yeah. If you're a Disney trainer, you get a little pin with him on it. And he's kind of also same if, if you're working in environmentality related stuff. He's still the cast mascot for both of those. He's still very much known backstage as like a, a mascot of the parks, more so in Florida than California. But like, he's still. Not quite on Mickey's level, but I would say on Tinkerbell's level, he's up there as like a secondary face of the company. And here he just gets shoved in a jar that's <laughs> upside down in the gravel. And they make a very, very, very weird point about the gravel. There's like a repeated setup, like 15 minutes before this jar thing happens, maybe they make a point to be like, oh, man, it would be weird if this gravel got flung up by, like, a loose tire and, like, hit somebody in the head or something. Like, a very obvious setup. For the moment they said it, I was like, okay, something clearly is going to happen. 
but what was the point of spelling that out? I don't understand. The point of that is because after we go through uh, I've Got No Strings, which to their credit, they keep I've Got No Strings pretty identical to the original, although some of the CGI on the pup, the other puppets, plus Pinocchio, is really weird. And then we also get another weird side character, um... A Sab- Sabina or Fabiana. It's kind of two in one. T- yeah, so the idea is that there is this uh, puppeteeress, pu- puppetress, whatever, this girl who works for Stromboli. Um, she is in a leg brace. She wants to be a dancer. None of this is really explained. It's just all gleaned off of visuals. Which, to Zemeckis' credit, I always appreciate show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. But why show it if it's not going to pay off? Like, if it's not going to make sense? Um, Because you've got Sabrina, Sabina? Yeah, I'm going to mess up her name. (laughs) I'm going to fuck up her name about a million times. Just correct me if I get it wrong, but I'm not. At some point, I'm going to stop caring. Because, admittedly, her character has very little to bring to the table. Right. Sabina's got this puppet that she uses to talk to Pinocchio because Pinocchio doesn't trust humans if they're not his father. It's another weird plot point that yeah. goes absolutely fucking nowhere. No. Sabina and Fabiana are weird because you have the one actress who plays the girl, the human girl. Mm-hmm. And then whenever Sabina... God damn it. Which one is it? Is Sabina the girl or Sabina the puppet? Thanks, Sabina. Bina is the puppet. We can't even keep them apart. That's how little of an impact they make to this story. Right. Okay, Sabina's the puppet. Okay. Fabiana is the girl, I think. If it's wrong, it's just going to stay wrong. Again, <laughs> we don't care enough to find the answer. It is what it is. We don't. But they have they have separate voice actresses is the thing. And there's even so like spoiler weird. alert for like the end of the movie. There's a couple lines where they speak simultaneously. Like their voices overlap. Like it is hint not even really hinted at. It's just a couple instances where it seems like the puppet is an intelligent being operating on her own. And obviously that goes nowhere as well, but I don't understand what the point was. Honestly, I don't even think that there is a point. I think people just forgot that they were supposed to be two separate characters or did not actually get a ventriloquist to come and do a second voice. Yeah, I would buy that. I truly think that they just fucked up and had them started speaking at the same time. (laughs) I can't give them enough credit on this one. Yeah. If they were a better writing team than they were, I would say maybe this is a throwback to the original novel in which all the puppets are like sentient in Stromboli's show. But there is no indication of that other than these one instances that are probably fuck-ups, like you mentioned. Um, In general... There is nothing else pulled from the novel or even, like, the 1940 movie. All these, like, original choices that they made in the live action are pulled out of nowhere and go nowhere. There is no thought put into them. Yeah, it's just a theme that continues. Um, But, yeah, Pinocchio gets captured or not even really captured. Because here's the other thing that I think we complained about. Stromboli is not all that scary in this version. No, he's not. He's one of the most threatening parts of the original for me because he is a very realistic threat 
and he has a presence to him and some of that is because of 2D animation. You can make him have more weight and take up more space and just have a more threatening aura because animation gives you that sort of leniency. But when you're working with CGI, just a man acting on what I presume is an empty set, there's only so much you can really do to give him more impact and he just doesn't have that energy i'm afraid i feel bad and he did a good job i thought he embodied the character very well yeah again it's our thing where it's not the actors it's the writing yes he's about as good as you can get with this kind of writing however the problem is stromboli isn't really written to be threatening like he moreover cajoles Pinocchio kind of yeah he doesn't it's not the same threat as the original Stromboli if anything he's given more of like an ominous air there's a scene later on where like Fabiana comes down for like a hatch in the ceiling when Pinocchio has been caged by Stromboli and she tries to help him escape Stromboli just not is not the same threatening presence. You're right. He's more ominous. Whereas in the original, he straight up says, if you do not work for me, I will turn you into firewood. Yeah, he is furious and he is like terrifying to this kid as opposed to in this one when there's the scene where, you know, Fabiana comes down through the ceiling and tries to free him from the cage. It doesn't work. It's a waste of everyone's time. He like almost catches her and like reseals the hatch and just like bringing him back in but without any of that anger he's he's kind of just some dude he is not a threatening presence anymore he is not associated with the two dudes association uh <laughs> yeah he he is just some dude in this case uh yeah it, it, it's just weird that they took one of the more threatening villains because you're right Stromboli is a real threat because he he isn't an all-powerful sorcerer. He's a kidnapper. He is yeah. a kidnapper and child enslavist. That's all he is. He wants he wants his money and he doesn't care about the safety of this kid or his father at all. And that that is scary in its own right, especially looking at it through the eyes of, you know, our child protagonist. And that just doesn't he doesn't have that same sort of, you know, anger and like greed in this one. I did not feel it as much the writing did not give him that impact not at all it was not impressive i mean again he did what he could but you can only do so much so then stromboli starts bringing the cart away and they're going to leave the city or whatever and go on to the next stop we come back around to the front of the schoolhouse where hey remember that gravel thing we mentioned earlier one of the gravel rocks gets caught in the wheel and breaks jiminy out so now jiminy can come and find pinocchio trapped in the cage i will give them i will give them one single ounce of credit for something only i care about they make an i'm no fool joke when he's trapped in that damn jar and I don't know if it makes it better or worse that they did their research and still didn't do anything with his character, but having a shout out to that was vindication for me. Thanks for that and nothing else. I'm at- <laughs> That was actually one of the things that I remember Joey mentioning during our screening. J- Joey loves the educational shorts and the cricket, so They're so good. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> but now we're in the in the uh caravan wagon. And this is normally where you get the appearance of blue number two. Mm-hmm. You get uh, the blue fairy coming in after Pinocchio, um, after they're in the cage. And Pinocchio starts lying 
and his nose grows. That's a famous scene. Like, people can... This is the scene. This is what people remember the movie for. Yeah. Like, it's been imitated in every other version of Pinocchio. Like, how Shrek did it. Um, This is the scene. So how do these guys fuck it up? (laughs) It's in the original. It's very much meant to be... A moral lesson about, you know, that's how he turns real, brave, truthful, and unselfish. This is the truthful part. Uh, He tries to lie about where he was because he went willingly to the theater in the original, and as he's lying, his nose grows. We don't get that in this. There is no lesson attached to the lies because he has to use this nose-growing mechanic to get the key and escape from the cage. It defeats the entire purpose in every way possible. Exactly. Which we argue could have been clever if he did it later on. Right. But this is supposed to be the moral lesson. Like, Pinocchio isn't supposed to know that his nose grows when there's a lie, but he figures it out too quickly that he can use it to get the key that's on the wall. Yeah. Um. So it, it's just weird that they decided to change the whole lesson here. Because it's not really lying if he's doing it to get out right and if we're would you argue that it's like he's lying would i what like is he moral this is a moral question we're getting into the philosophy section of our discussion (laughs) if pinocchio is objectively lying not to get out of trouble but to purposely make his nose grow is he still lying because he's doing it for a good purpose See, that's the thing. It's the same as that, like, paradox question of, like, if he says my nose will now grow, is it going to grow or not? And I think the answer is he, if he, like, knows that he's lying, it probably counts as a lie. However, it does defeat the narrative purpose of the lie. So, like, while I think it would probably work if we're going by sheer magic mechanics, whatever of that exists, um... I don't think it was a good use of it by any means, and the only credit I will give this scene is that it's a small amount of, um, like, bonding time between Jiminy and Pinocchio that we don't get a lot of because they cut all of their scenes together from the rest of the movie, but at the cost of Blue not being there, it wasn't worth it. You're still mad about Give a Little Whistle. I'm still mad about Give a Little Whistle. I'm still (laughs) furious about it. Why would you... Oh, it's not even that. Okay, listen, listen. I'm gonna say one thing about it, and then I will not bring it up for the rest of this podcast. I swear to God, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's not even just it's a good like song because it is. It's that it's narratively important. It sets up their friendship. It sets them up as someone that Pinocchio can call upon, which he does repeatedly through the rest of the film. And it sets up like the moral lesson that Jim tries to teach him. The whole like let's not go with strangers. Let's you know, all all this shit. And they even, like, reference it later on in the film. Like, when they meet Honest John, he's like, oh, remember what I told you about Temptation? No, he doesn't remember that because you never had that discussion. You have never talked to him <laughs> other than the morning you met him or middle of the night whenever the Blue Fairy came. Like, there is no connection between these characters other than, like, maybe two scenes. And other than that, they are just forcibly separated he doesn't come to rescue him at all because he doesn't fuck off on his own. He's just trapped by other people. He is so useless as a character, and it's to the detriment of the whole formula that made the original work. And that's it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. 
See why I had Kai on for this episode, everyone, is because I knew she would be the one to help me break down <laughs> this trash fire. Ugh. And why the original 1940s version is superior. In every regard. Every way a movie can be superior. Yeah. So, no surprise, Pinocchio and Jiminy escape, and they're trying to get back. But now is where we're supposed to meet I would argue in the original version, antagonist number three. I usually lump in Gideon and Honest John as like one antagonist because... Yeah, don't separate them. You've got got four main antagonists. You've got Gideon and Honest John. You've got Stromboli. And then you have arguably the most terrifying one, if we're talking about the original, the Coachman. Everybody remembers the Coachman in the original as being just scary as fuck. You, you, they meet in a seedy tavern. Honest John and Gideon are talking about the little wooden boy that they lured off to Stromboli. And the coachman uh, puts a humongous bag of gold on the table to help it, to get Honest John and Gideon to help him lure stupid little boys to his coach so he can take them to Pleasure Island. And there's the classic shot of, oh, they never come back as boys. (laughs) And it's just nightmare fuel. I remember being like, this guy, he's such a scary antagonist. scared. Like, even the other antagonists are scared of him. Like, Honest John and Gideon do not want to do this. When he brings them the money, they're like, oh, who do we have to, you know, like, murder? And he's like, oh, no, none of that. And they are scared of this proposition. They don't want to be associated with this guy. Yeah, which makes me wonder, does the coachman actually murder people? That's a question for another day. (laughs) Um, But in this version... We don't have the super scary coachman. We have Luke Evans making his second live-action Disney debut. All of the imperfections of 2017 Beauty and the Beast aside, that's my guilty pleasure uh, live-action movie. And part of that is because Luke Evans did a fantastic job as Gaston. He killed it. He looked the part. He killed it. The man saw what he needed to do and he went for it. I see him here trying to do something. What it is, I have absolutely no idea what it is. Because he's not spooky and menacing. Yes. It's like he's trying to be funny. It's like a Willy Wonka energy. Yes. Oh, my God. It's evil Willy Wonka. You're right. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Oh, my God. It's evil Willy Wonka. It's very strange. He's got a wagon of boys and girls because inclusivity. Um, (laughs) Modern day inclusivity. It's not not a Disney live action remake if there's not like token inclusivity that nobody asked for and doesn't improve. Exactly. We have to turn the girls into donkeys, too. This is important. Um, but they give Luke Evans this whole weird song number that is on the ride to try to convince Pinocchio to come along because Pinocchio isn't sure if he should be there. Whereas in the original, he's just following along because that's what everybody else does. And original Pinocchio just falls to peer pressure like nothing else. Here, it's like he's hesitating. Yeah. So they all tempt him, which is cool in theory, but doesn't really work and then we actually get to pleasure island and oh my god pleasure island is one of the cooler parts but there are some weird things like 
uh, on Pleasure Island in the original, there's like all the alcohol and smoking and all the bad things and that kids are going to be doing. And, yeah. Apparently, it is like destruction of property. It is they are beating each other up. It is like very clearly stuff that they should not be involved with and like the whole selling point is there's no parents there's no cops you can do awful things and no one will stop you and here it's kind of just your standard amusement park sort of stuff yeah like they they have root beer all over the place and they are emphasizing the fact that it is root beer and not actual alcohol they need you to know that it is root beer they say it maybe 20 times over exactly in song this is all still while the song is happening, like, in yes. the background. It's so weird. And I think at one point they swore in pig Latin. Like, I remember making a note, and I can't yeah. remember what the actual line was. I'll have to go back and find it. But it's like... There's a lot. There's several instances where something notable-ish about the original is it has a G rating, but there are a few uses of language in it. They they say jackass maybe like three different times and here it's very watered down it's he double hockey sticks it's uh it's gosh which and golly. implies that there's, there's hockey no... <laughs> there's hockey in the pinocchio universe <laughs> in an 1890s italy let me let me see if that's historically i could just i don't want to bother it's not worth it i think i looked it up it. and i think it was very early hockey but it's like the implications I of that i think we did look it up when we were watching well like writers yeah. don't think about like, the jiminy is hip with the times he is up to date with evolving sports he is a big hockey fan and that's canon now okay uh, ladies and gentlemen you heard it here first the cricket lore enthusiasts <laughs> deemed it so um put a stamp on it yeah I just, I look at, I'm looking at Lampwick on my notes. I don't even remember anything Lampwick does in this version. Do you? No, he's definitely not as, I wouldn't say the original one is endearing. You kind of love to hate him. He's a very lovable like, oh, I hate jerk of a kid <laughs> and very realistic for like a teenager. But this kid is just, he's objectively more awful. He does not give any like friendship vibes to Pinocchio. I wouldn't even say he's really any sort of bad influence on him because he's not an influence on him. They don't feel like they are even buddies. He's just this side character who Pinocchio can bounce comments off of. And I don't even remember like what I don't remember if they change anything about his eventual fate. I don't remember any real lines from him. He was just a nothing character, like a lot of these side characters are. Yeah, really the important, the only important thing that I actually remember this Lampwick doing is he is on a boat ride with Pinocchio and they go through like the Hall of Destruction where all the kids are breaking clocks. And all of a sudden, oh my God, (laughs) all of a sudden, Pinocchio starts having a moral crisis because all these kids are destroying clocks. And his dad loves clocks. These look like my father's clocks. These look like my father's clocks. (laughs) And there's like this giant clock that looks like Geppetto's face. It's so stupid. Wait, there was? I don't even remember that. Yeah, there was. Oh my god. There is. I, d- I distinctly remember it because I was like, okay, oh, we get it. We fucking get it, Disney. I, I, I don't even remember that one. Um, It's just so weird. And then, obviously, on Pleasure Island, all of the kids get turned into donkeys. That's supposed to be one of the most terrifying parts of the movie. Like, Jimmy that is, finds don't, out. Actually, don't even get me started on the reveal in this one. They... The reveal is no, so... No, please, go ahead. Like, 
draw dropping. So in the original, the way they like set up this reveal thing is they have Jiminy come confront Lampic and Pinocchio in the pool hall. They have a little spat over it. Um, and like Jiminy storms out all angry and he tries to leave. He's just gonna fuck off and go home. He is taking his hands off the steering wheel and he wanders in to this like dock area, like the coachman's little like den and sees all these random donkeys with clothes on like crying out for their parents, getting thrown into pens, interrogated to see if they can still talk. And he puts the pieces together before you even like switch back to Pinocchio and Lampwick's point of view that these are the kids from the island and he's in real danger. And the tenseness of the situation then when it cuts back to Pinocchio and Lampwick is you know what's going to happen and you really just can only hope that Jiminy gets back to them in time. They don't have any of that same build up here at all. Yeah, it, it's just I, I will give this movie credit for one cool thing. There are some shadow monsters that add a little bit to the atmosphere, but <laughs> the vapor the creatures. Vapor creatures evidently vaping is bad, ladies and gentlemen. Vaping on Pleasure Island is bad. <laughs> um, See, if they had had them vape on Pleasure Island, I would have been more okay with Pleasure Island because it actually has something worth yes. showing. <laughs> Instead of root Instead beer. Instead of root beer. <laughs> um, but yeah, for some reason, like, the donkey transformation thing is not as scary in this version. Like, there's even a kid running through uh, the streets of Pleasure Island as a donkey, and it's just, for some reason, not as imposing. Like... No, you don't... There's not the sense of, like, anxiety and, like, oh, we need to get out of here quickly, and that's what makes... The original impactful is you know what's going to happen but you have to witness it happening and you can't do anything as the audience to stop it whereas with this one it kind of feels like it's all already happened it's not yeah it's not very stressful it's not very like i don't feel the implications as heavily i don't i can't even fully articulate why like even lampwick's transformation which in the original is terrifying because it's done in shadow like you see the shadows of his hands just it's very alfred hitchcock and become hooves yes they do that shot for shot here, but it doesn't work as well. Yeah, it's... I think, it for me, it comes down to, in that regard, the 2D animation versus just... It's when you can mess with lighting and, you know, the deliberateness... Deliberate, deliberateness. <laughs> when you can mess with the lighting and the deliberateness of your shots so severely in a 2D film you will not be able to recreate that as impressively when you're trying to make CGI that mimics real life. If they had stylized it further, maybe they could have managed that, but they can't pull it off in this one. The visual impact isn't there. The voice acting, no offense to the Lampwick actor, but the performance in the original, I don't think it could have been topped no matter who was voicing this character. It just, the weight is not there. Agreed. Just it, it, it's just not the same level of stakes, and they do escape because movie's not over yet. We still got thirty minutes or so at this point. We still have one more antagonist to get to. We're coming towards the end of the movie. The fellas escape from Pleasure Island. We got to get to Monstro. Yep the uh, the thing that everyone kind of remembers about Pinocchio eaten by a whale, but doesn't really remember because every time I watch even the original, I'm like, oh my god, there's a third act that we haven't even 
gotten to, and they get to it in the most convoluted way in this one. In the original, it's kind of a deus ex machina, I would say. They get to Geppetto's house after escaping from the island. Pinocchio has donkey ears and a tail at this point, um, and they're like, where the fuck did he go? He's missing. And the blue fairy comes down in the form of a dove and delivers them a letter that says, hey, he got eaten by a whale. And and then they set off to rescue him. It's a little stupider in this version, I would say. <laughs> I don't know. We've already gotten pretty dumb. <laughs> I don't even remember what they do for this one. Like, how do they find out? I believe they still make it to the house. They realize all the clocks are gone and Pinocchio has a moment because he never sells his clocks. And the seagull, um, the seagull descends the to tell them. seagull! <laughs> the seagull tells them that there is a scene earlier, I think, where like the seagull finds Geppetto and like brings him a flyer for Pleasure Island. I don't know how she knew that he was there, but that's why he sold all his clocks and went off sailing to find him. And so the seagull comes to tell them that because for some reason, um, she doesn't seem to be able to talk to Geppetto. It's just another weird plot point, but she can speak to Pinocchio and Jiminy just fine. And so they hitch a ride with the seagull to go out to sea to find him. And of course, they have to have one more scene with Sabina and uh, Fabrina, which <laughs> Fabiana? amounts to... Fabiana? Fuck it. <laughs> Sabrina and Fabina. I don't give a fuck. It is what it is. Whatever. <laughs> they have one more scene with the puppeteer and the puppet, the girl, right. um, which amounts to absolutely nothing except for dumb shit point number 5,875 at this point. Pinocchio's donkey stuff disappears at this point, doesn't it? Right, yeah. She comes over to them and is like, oh, we kicked out Stromboli and he's in jail. That was a subplot that was going on in the background, I suppose. And she's like, you should come with us. You were a really good performer. And he says, sorry, but I need to go find my father. And the tail and the ears just disappear. And there's a stupid lie about, oh, I can tell that was the right choice. Like, it's that easy to get rid of. It's... In the original, he just has that through the rest of the runtime. But in yeah. this one, no, instantly gone as soon as he says one decent common sense thing, I suppose. Yeah. The one the one neat thing about him having the ears and the donkey tail in this one is that they were actually made of wood, but then they disappear, so what does it matter? Right. What was the point? They were there for maybe two minutes. That's it. Yeah, so Pinocchio and Jiminy have to go water skiing. I'm not making that part up. They actually go water skiing using the stupid seagull. Right. And they're following Monstro, which in this one, in the original, he's just a whale. In this version, he's more like a kraken, which all shitty things I have to say about this movie aside, the kraken monster design slaps. Yeah, it was Holy shit, he looks and so I, cool. I guess I was sort of lying when I said this didn't pull anything from the novel, because that is a nod to the novel. He's not a whale, he is an abomination called the Terrible Dogfish, and he's got weird tentacle stuff going on, like tons of sharp teeth, very different, almost like more frightening creature and I was okay with that change. I was less okay with losing the gorgeous underwater sequence from the original, but I 
understand it could have dragged the time on and they really had to get more seagull scenes in so you know you have to take your losses where you can get them right more seagull scenes more time looking at horse crap in the road and more time with weird clock fetish that's what we sacrificed the underwater scene for that's what we needed to be fair, I think all of the underwater animation budget is going to the as-of-yet-to-be-released, as of the date of this recording, live-action Little Mermaid that's coming out. True. And actually, I thought that's kind of funny in its own way, because the Little Mermaid's underwater scenes, like the original Little Mermaid's, they were like referenced from Pinocchio's underwater scenes. That's what the animators studied as reference. So you could have gone full circle, Disney. You could have tested out your underwater CGI here and then brought it full circle, but obviously they're not going to put that much effort into a direct-to-streaming live-action release. So this is what we get. Yeah, all of the budget got eaten up by Little Mermaid. Let's be real. Yeah. So Pinocchio gets inside Monstro, finds Geppetto in there, and for the most part, it goes pretty much the same way as the original movie. Um, They escape. There's a huge chase scene. Monstro tries to eat them. Pinocchio and Geppetto end up on a beach. And this is, I think, where I lost my all- my I shit. do need to add, I do need to add one little important detail. They get to that beach because it's revealed during the Stromboli scene that Pinocchio can just move his feet at like 6,000 miles oh an my hour. God. Enough to like start fires <laughs> on stage. So when they're in the water and they're swimming to shore, he's not actually swimming. He is using his feet as propellers to get them to this beach. Y'all remember the scene in Incredibles where Dash... <laughs> turns into a motor for him and his uh, like his sister and his mom so they can get to the island this is the exact same thing with pinocchio it makes exact no exact same sense. thing and it makes no sense not a lick of sense i i think i laughed my ass off because i just realized it was an incredibles reference if it's an incredibles reference haha if not what the fuck <laughs> um but they're on it the beach seems too plot relevant to be a reference I don't is know. the problem it's it's so stupid. It's so weird. Because, like, in the original, they're on, like, a little sailing dinghy. Like, it's a raft. It's, like, there. there's absolutely no way they're going to escape this monster. There's hope against hope. Here, Pinocchio just yeets them into a cave. And this is... It's very effortless. In the original, it's a struggle. They fall into the water, and he has to hold his drowning father with one arm and, like, swim manually to the shore. And... No, he's got super powered feet in this one, so don't worry about it. Yeah, and I alluded to it. This is the point where I just literally flipped a table. I just went, what the fuck? Like, I think I audibly did that when I was watching this with Joey. Um, In the original, Geppetto wakes up first and he finds Pinocchio face down, basically drowned, even though, you know, he was just fine breathing underwater a few scenes ago, but we forget that because it's a movie. Um, Pinocchio's out. He's, he's probably dead. He should be dead. Um, this time around, it is Tom Hanks, Geppetto, who is down for the count after nearly getting drowned, which, (sighs) Disney referencing itself come around a little too far full circle. (laughs) Kai, what do they do? Way too full circle. What do they do here? I can't say it. So in the original, (laughs) 
<laughs> in the original, after Pinocchio dies, they carry him home, and they don't even make a wish for him to come back to life or anything. The blue fairy just looks down and realizes that he's fulfilled all his requirements. He proved himself brave, truthful, and unselfish. He has earned humanity, so he gets his second shot there. In this one, um, Pinocchio sings a reprise, reprise of When You Wish Upon a Star over his father's he dead body. He sings. He just hums it. He just hums it. He just, you're right. He hums when he wish upon a star and a single magical sparkling tear rolls down his face and drops onto Geppetto and he comes back to life. They ripped off Tangled. Beat for beat. Literally, I would have thought it was a Tangled parody if it wasn't the conclusion of their film. They just fully ripped off Tangled. I was audibly in shock that even Disney, whom I love and adore Disney, I am a humongous Disney fan, but I must call them out when they do bullshit. You know, this it's kind of actually the, the Polly, I know we're not talking about the Polly Shore Pinocchio, but it did the same ending, like the magic tear bringing someone back to life. I think there's like a conspiracy going on. Are you on. for serious? I'm for serious. I had to watch that movie I didn't see times. that one yet. We didn't watch it yet. <laughs> That's for the best, but I am being so serious when I say that's how both movies end, is with the Tangled Tear song thing, and I don't know what is going on there. Maybe Disney stole the script from Polly Shore, um, but it's weird okay. that it happened twice. Well, here's the real question. In Polly Shore's version, does he become a real boy? I fully don't remember. I'll be honest with you. You blocked it out. I blocked it out. I remembered the worst parts. I remembered the horse. I remembered the voice acting. I remembered the tear. And the details of the plot, gone. I'm sorry. I'm just... Here's the thing. I would have been amazed if you said that in the Polly Shore version, Pinocchio actually did end up becoming a real boy. Because guess what doesn't happen in this movie? <laughs> the entire it's... point of the entire story does not happen. Okay, but here's what gets me, is they don't even, like, make it clear. They don't fully commit to it not happening. At the end, they have them, like, walk away towards a tunnel of light for some reason, and it, like, switches to Jim's narration again, like, Jiminy bookends the narration like he did in the original, and he goes, we don't know if he ever became real. Some people say he did, but who knows? You should know, my guy. You are the one telling us the story you were there give us an actual answer like i don't know there's like sort of some scenes where like it looks like pinocchio's like arm as he's holding geppetto's hand is like transforming into flesh but it doesn't commit one way or the other and it in fact tries to bring up this weird secondary plot point that wasn't even really a plot point where geppetto's like oh you must have thought that i was wishing for like a human son or somebody else but I like you as you are that was never even an issue to contend with so I don't know why they thought that this was required because it wasn't it just blows my mind that somehow you can look at a story puppet wants to be real boy and miss the mark that hard it's like the target was in front of them they shot behind their head I do not understand <laughs> Who authorized this change? I do not understand no. why. It, it just... For 
all the things that we could say about this, the entire ending just drives us all crazy. Like that's that's the thing. The movie gets progressively worse. You get through the first like up till he becomes real, and you're like, this is a serviceable remake. You get through the Honest John parts, and you're like, it's getting a little weird with all the shit scenes, but I can tolerate this. And just the further along you go, literal shit scenes. It feels like they gave up. Like the scriptwriters just fully gave up. And I can't, um, I can't blame them if they were, you know capable of realizing that early on that things were going to be shit but it's certainly a choice it was a choice and we had to watch it as an audience and i think this this for me i couldn't even recommend it as a guilty pleasure like i can say nice things no in general about most of the disney live action remakes like i said it earlier um beauty and the beast it's fine. It is one of my guilty pleasures. The Lion King. The movie itself is whatever, but the reorchestrated soundtrack and the uh, African choir always slaps. Like, if they had just gotten rid of the dialogue in Lion King and made it like a Disney um, uh, nature short, but have the, all of the, the instrumental music... That would have been an interesting experiment. This, I have nothing nice that to say about smacked. this. I would have watched that. But no, this everything nice that we could have said, we have already said. The cast, good to varying degrees, some were fantastic. The original songs, the few that they included, those were fine. The backing tracks on those, some were even improved upon. Um, Heidedly D, fantastic, 10 out of 10, no complaints, better than the original, dare I say. Um, some of the visuals, Pleasure Island is visually stunning, Monstro looks very cool, and I actually liked how stylized Pinocchio and Jiminy were. I liked that they weren't just straight-up realistic. Yeah. Um, they looked like their animated counterparts in CGI. Well, like, Pinocchio is really easy to mess up because he's a puppet. He he could have been, like, way weird. They, they kept the design looking so close to the original without it being too much Uncanny Valley. But it's like, there's only so much polishing you can do on a turd. At the end of the day, it's still shit. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just very it had big shoes to fill from the start and it not only failed to fill them it didn't even try stepping into them it was like throwing shit at the shoes from a far distance it it didn't succeed in any of what it set out to do and i that's impressive for me to say cuz i can't even tell what it set out to do it is that there is a reason people were saying this was the worst live action remake that wasn't an exaggeration it was bad I've watched it maybe twice now, and I wouldn't, like, it's, the original is my favorite movie ever, and I still wouldn't touch this one with a 20-foot pole again. I don't know. We might need to figure out a way to turn it into, like, a drinking game to make it even somewhat tolerable. We should have done that with our actual <laughs> watching of it. We should have. Well, now we're gonna have to, because I think that would be fun. Like, if you are ready to deal with a hangover. Yeah. Well, folks, I think we've, uh, shat on this movie enough. Kai and I are going to go to Pleasure Island, grab a couple of root beers, and take a breather. We'll be right back because we have a whole nother Pinocchio to talk about. This one, a little bit more uh, stylized. Stay tuned.
in our last half of the podcast, we slogged through a live action remake of a beloved <laughs> Disney film. But this time, good way to put it. There's only one real way to put it. If anyone genuinely likes Pinocchio, the 2022 live action Disney remake, please let us know why. I'd love to hear from you and your therapist. Yeah, hit me up. I need to know. I need to know what the thoughts are. We would love to know. What's wrong? Our next (laughs) film is also Pinocchio. Duh. But this time, it's from the mind of one of the world's best filmmakers. And I say that not just incredibly biasedly, because it is incredibly biased, but the man's an Oscar winner. The man has done just about every genre you could possibly think of. He's done horror. He's done romance. He's done sci-fi. Joey and Richard, the main dudes of the show, have listed him in their Hall of Fame. This Pinocchio happens to belong to Guillermo del Toro and was on Netflix. And actually, speaking of Academy Awards, this one won Best Animated Feature um, just recently at the Oscars. So already going into watching it, expectations were much, much higher than the live-action Disney one. I will give it that for sure. This had a lot going on it. I wasn't sure at the time which one I was more excited for, the Disney one or this, because a lot of them in their trailers and all their marketing had a lot of cool things happening. Um, I really enjoyed hearing about this one with the casting. We're going to get into that in a second, but um, a couple key differences. (laughs) This one is not live action. Well, kind of. I consider stop motion animation to be almost like a hybrid of live action and animation because there are actual things being photographed and there's like physical things happening in front of a camera. It's just in a form of animation. I was really glad to see this movie get some attention, see some uh, stop motion animation get some attention because let's go ahead and start first thing off the bat. First things first, this movie's fucking gorgeous to look at. Like as far as a... Visuals, it is it's gorgeous. beautiful. 100%, I would say, the best part of this film. And all of it is decent. I'll say that right off the bat. None of it is awful. Um, but the best part by far is the visuals. It is just gorgeous. The character models and designs, the backgrounds. Even when this was first just the concept, I remember seeing concept art years and years ago for the characters. It looked fantastic then. It looks even better in motion. Stop motion is just gorgeous in general, and this is really, really refined animation. It really is. Like, stop motion has come such a long way. Like, there's just detailing in the sweaters, in Geppetto's beard, in the sets. This movie had so much care going into it with the visual aesthetic of everything. That's, That's apparent when you first click it on. Um, There's a lot of similarities in this one with, I I call it shorthand, the DLA, Disney live action version. So that's just how I'm going to refer to it for the rest Mm -hmm. of the run. There's a lot of similarities, lots more differences. We're going to try to like, try to stay focused because of course it's, it's a story, two different movies based on the same story. So they follow a lot of the same beats. The first thing that these guys do is they do the dead son plot line, but they do this one a lot better because you actually get to meet 
Geppetto's son, Carlo. Yeah, you actually spend... If in the Disney Pinocchio, you spend the first like 20 minutes or so just getting to know Geppetto and like his house and his pets, they do that same sort of slow start with Carlo and Geppetto in the Del Toro one where you see just their day-to-day interactions. You see how much he loves him. He's a single father. There's no like wife in the picture or anything like that. And you get a feel for the setting, which is also quite a bit different than the Disney one. Del Toro, um, so he made it very clear going into this, this was a passion project for him, in part because of how much he loves and respects the original Disney one, but he veered very far into a different direction and gave it a slightly more modern setting. It's right around like 1920s, 1930s. Italy is where we are set with Keep this. Keep those dates in mind. They are important for later. <laughs> yeah, it's a very realistic Italian village, whereas in the original Pinocchio one, it's kind of more of like a pseudo fantasy hybrid reality version. Like it's very clearly like Northern Italy, like probably at the base of the mountains. Um, yeah, it looks very, very German um, in, like, its architecture yeah. and even the characters, like, clothing. But this one, the Del Toro one, is very more... It's clearly Italy. Everyone sounds Italian. Everything looks Italian. It's Italian through and through. Yeah, which, being Italian on my... Like, my family is Italian. That was very much a love letter to me and me personally. So I appreciate it, Guillermo Del Toro. Yeah. We definitely get to spend a lot of time with Geppetto and Carlo both, which I think is one of the strengths here because whereas in the DLA version, you get a photograph and a speak singing song with Tom Hanks to establish the backstory here. You actually get like a full 10 to 15 minutes of Pinocchio working with his son before lo and behold tragedy strikes Pinocchio working with his son uh yeah Carlo dies spoiler alert did we spoiler alert (laughs) enough yet or it kind of makes it pretty obvious from the start the whole time Carlo's on screen I think we were just like I know something's gonna happen to this kid I can just tell so you see it coming from the start, but it's still, he is enough of a character. He's so endearing, and it's in part because of his voice actor, which is, I believe, the same as Pinocchio's voice actor. I think it's Gregory Mann for both of them. Um, that you care about this kid and the bond he has with his father. And Geppetto is a very fleshed out character in this one. Very realistic compared to um, the one in the Disney version. It's, he's a little goofy but this one feels like a grieving man. Um, and that provides a lot more. I'm only going to... S- it, it makes him more compelling. Yeah, I'm, I'm only going to correct one thing here. We th- I thought they were the same, but Pinocchio is Gregory Mann. Uh, Carlo does have a separate voice actor. His name is Alfie Tempest. So good job, Alfie. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, he did a great job. All right, shout out to Alfie. Shout out to Alfie. Um, <laughs> the cast for this is like really stacked. Like, I think I grew the most excited when we realized that the man, the myth, the legend himself, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Ewan McGregor was going to play the cricket who in this version, his name is Sebastian, not Jiminy. Yeah. Sebastian, Sebastian J cricket. Um, I opt to believe the J stands for Jiminy. Um, 
I was so excited when we found out about this casting back a few years ago. I love Ewan McGregor. I thought he would kill it, and spoiler alert, he does. He eats it up. He is absolutely fantastic. I was shocked, because I didn't realize this until we were actually watching it. Uh, Geppetto's voice in this is David Bradley, who anyone who watched Game of Thrones religiously like I did, that's Walder Frey. That's Walder (laughs) fucking Frey, the man who orchestrated the Red Wedding is your endearing old man character. I don't know about you, but that took me a little while to get used to. (laughs) There was a lot of really surprising, like, voice choices in this that they caught me off guard, but they were so well done. Um, I think we had, was it Ron Perlman? Yeah, Ron uh, Perlman is in this. Yes, he's the Podesta. He's kind of like, uh, like the officer character like he's kind of like a government official he's lampwick's father i believe or sorry candlewick he's candlewick in this one he's candlewick's father lampwick <clears throat> anyway uh there's also john totoro <laughs> as the dottore and then kate blanchett is in here i didn't believe that at first <laughs> and then when you pointed it out i was like are you fucking kidding me but shout out to kate blanchett she does a surprise voice here uh we've got Tilda Swinton as the wood sprite, read Blue Fairy. Uh, Tom Kenny comes in as well, but I'm not going to talk about him yet. We're going to talk about him later. (laughs) Tom Kenny was in three Pinocchio movies over the last couple of years. I don't know what he's doing, but... Collecting a paycheck. Clearly he's doing good. Clearly he's doing well for himself. Fair enough. There's also Christoph Waltz, who's Count Volpe, one of my favorites in this. Um... Uh, we mentioned Candlewick, Lampwick, uh, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things is there. There's just... I did not remember that. Yeah, it's Finn Wolfhard. This is a stacked cast. And they really all perform, yeah. like, super well. Um, I can't remember if there's anyone else of, like, super note that I need to bring up. But those that's, like, the main group that we're talking with here. Um, yeah. You can't really go wrong with them. Um, and for the most part, we really don't. Like, we start out with that first grief scene. Uh, Carlo dies. Then we're introduced to Sebastian. And Sebastian looks way different than Jiminy Cricket that we all know and love. Like, even in the DLA version, Jiminy is 99% like his uh, 2D ancestor. Sebastian looks way more realistic, like an actual bug cricket, but he does it without being super creepy. Yeah, right. I was going to say, he's still he's still very charming for, like, an animated bug, which really is hit or miss all the time. But he's got, like, a mustache going mustache. on. He's got, like, the extra arms without it being weird. And I love his... Narr- the way it approaches his narration is he's writing, like, his own biography. Um, he's, like, a journalist author philosopher kind of character and he is writing about himself and just happens to get caught up in this bullshit when he tries to move into the tree that geppetto had planted over his son's grave and chops down it a drunken fit of grief yeah like they they do not shy away from the portrayal of grief here which i think makes this no this geppetto is a little bit more connectable uh connectable connectable relatable when it comes to like the portrayal of yeah one of those is a word (laughs) pick a word (laughs) pick a word any word um because you really do feel for geppetto like he is drinking and he is just devastated about the loss of his son because his son he gets 
like killed in a bombing to get an accidental bombing it drops onto the church that geppetto is like working on a like crucifix statue for and carlo just happened to run in there last second and accidentally explodes (laughs) it's it's very jarring very dark and the consequences of that are felt throughout all of Geppetto's character beats in this film, and it's that much stronger for it, I think. Yeah, it, it, you actually feel the weight of his son's death. And that's what drives Geppetto to chop down the tree where Sebastian's hiding out, and he carves a, a puppet who is... if. Disney's Pinocchio is made to look like a real boy. This version of Pinocchio is made to look like a living tree. He has no clothes at all. <laughs> He's naked for the entire entire movie. Um, but he has no paint. All of the facial expressions, all of the design is just like the actual grain of the wood. Uh, he has like knot holes for eyes. It's like Pinocchio is just a living tree that was constructed into a humanoid-looking puppet. And he acts very, very uncannily as well, because, you know, spoiler alert, um, the blue fairy, she's called the wood sprite in this one. She's still blue. She comes in. She's still blue. She's still blue. Um, Biblically accurate blue fairy is what I've been calling her. (laughs) But she comes in and brings him to life and he does not move or behave. Like, Pinocchio's pretty, in the Disney one, Pinocchio's pretty much a human kid from the start in how he acts and moves. He's just a little clueless. This Pinocchio is, like, scuttering around on all fours. He's, like, he turns his head backwards all the time. He is a very jarring it's if you built a creature and it spontaneously came to life, this is how it would behave. I mean, Guillermo del Toro is rumored to be making a uh, Frankenstein. I think this is just the rough draft. Oh yeah, for sure. There's clear, clear inspiration, and I think he might have said as much in some interviews, if I'm not mistaken. Somehow, though, even with all of that weirdness, Pinocchio isn't creepy. Like he, no, he's not. He's very endearing from the start. Yeah, especially just because he, he's just a little creature. He's just a little guy. Um, <laughs> he's just a little but guy. But this means that he needs to, like, start from square one, from day one, moment one. He needs help. And that is where Sebastian kind of comes in. And they do this clever thing where there's a hole, like a, a, a wood hole or a knot hole or something, in Pinocchio's chest, right where his heart would be. So, uh... A metaphor of metaphors, that's where Sebastian lives, is just in Pinocchio's heart. Yeah, that's where his his little house used to be before the tree got chopped down. So he, he like, calls Pinocchio his house throughout the first part of this movie. He kind of... I do see a lot of similar character beats between the original Jiminy Cricket and Sebastian in that neither one really cares about this kid at the start they don't necessarily want this job of like guiding him like the fairy assigned them to they're just situational circumstances deemed that they be there and so now they're gonna do their best yeah like it's very much the unwilling protagonist story beat like there there's everybody references like the hero's journey or the hero of a thousand faces and uh 
the cricket, whether it's Jiminy, Sebastian, or other bastardized versions of our beloved insectoid conscience, um, it usually works best when he's like thrust into the destiny. Because you get you get a yeah. uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's cricket, and while he is unwilling, he goes along with it, but he doesn't ever, like, have the conflict, of the character conflict in the 40s version. We were talking about that, and it just, you lost something there. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, their relationship is so much better built in this, because, you know, Pinocchio has to start from day one, minute one. He is reliant on all the influences They actually, um... Yeah, they actually, one of the complaints I brought up with the the DLA is that Jiminy and Pinocchio don't have any sort of, like, Jiminy doesn't act as his conscience, essentially. They don't have those moral talks. He doesn't get this, these lessons and life experiences. He's just perfect from the get-go. This Pinocchio is very clueless and even deeply flawed, I would say, in some regards. And him and Sebastian talk about it. He tries his best to teach the kid. They have a clear bond and dynamic that pays off by the end of the film, I would say. is it? I don't know that I would say it's perfectly executed, but much, much better than the DLA version. And Sebastian was one of the highlights for me, I will be honest. He was fantastic as a character. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is at this point where I must put up a disclaimer. Kai is incredibly biased towards crickets. If you couldn't figure it out already. I am. I always will be. <laughs> Listen, the cricket in the novel is such a non-entity. He gets killed in three pages of appearing and he reappears like maybe twice to give a moral lesson or two. So I think taking that nothingness and turning it into a character that people care about is an impressive feat. So yeah, I'm going to shout it out. I mean, given the fact that he is usually an incredible character, I'm looking directly at the 2020 Italian live action Pinocchio that I watched and tried to suppress. And I'm having violent (laughs) PTSD flashbacks thinking about it. There is an alien version of the cricket that I think we all in our friend group labeled, uh, (laughs) <laughs> what was it little green slut is what i've been calling him <laughs> the little green slut yeah i think that came from a tumblr post but it's, it's the yeah, little it's green slut. <laughs> and yes we are cricket slut shaming absolutely 100 percent. that cricket was horrible looking <laughs> if you ever look it up i'm sorry <laughs> but let me see Going forward, like, once Pinocchio gets his feet under him and he starts learning to talk, it, it, it there's actually a unique character dynamic where Geppetto, at first, is actually really reluctant to take in this Pinocchio. Like, he doesn't know what to make of him. Like, he's... He's scared he's, of him at first, even. I always wonder if he thought he was, like, hun- uh, hungover. That's what I would have thought, man. That would have been a fair enough a assessment. hungover hallucination. He's just, like... It's full of cockroaches! And he, I, <laughs> he gets knocked out. I, I actually have it going on in the background, so I, I, was, I put it on the background to have while we recorded, so full disclosure there. Just their dynamic changes a lot, and I love how it doesn't follow the normal story that everybody's used to. Like, you get to see Pino- like Geppetto having to accept that I have an alien puppet inside my house that lives. It's really weird. And that's the other thing. You get to see the village's reaction to Geppetto having like this demonically possessed piece of wood. 
Yeah, it's very, there are very heavy religious, not even undertones, but overtones in this film. It's a Catholic village. Um, Carla was killed in a church. The very first day when Pinocchio comes to life, Geppetto goes off to church and he tells Pinocchio, you know, stay home. And obviously Pinocchio does not listen because of course he doesn't. And everyone thinks he's, you know, of the devil. There are consequences that Geppetto has to face. And yeah. um, it's that's one of the stronger points of it, I would say, is Pinocchio is not normal. And instead of just being like a one or two throwaway lines, like in the DLA, where he can't trust humans, he's too different. It's a real thing he has to face in this version. There are characters that shun him for it and characters that try and use him for that. It's fact. almost like everything that was set up in the DLA version was paid off in this version. You just needed to watch the two movies to see them bounce off. I really... You want another Pinocchio conspiracy theory? Always. I think Disney got a hold of Del Toro's script and was trying to like take some of the key points because like the dead son thing, the you know the non-human Pinocchio thing. Even there's another part at the ending that I won't spoil now that was very similar to the Disney one. It's it's just a conspiracy theory, but <laughs> I wonder if there was some cinematic espionage happening because it's wild. I would there, not doubt it. I fully There is doubt it. another similarity to these two that unfortunately does not go in favor of this version. Uh, they decided to put in songs, and I don't know who... I don't remember Ugh. who wrote these songs, but they don't work. <laughs> like, Pinocchio has a song that's like, everything no. is new to me, and I don't even remember the melody, but he's just, like, breaking everything in <laughs> Geppetto's house, which, objectively, it's a funny scene, but the song is so odd that it just doesn't flow. The lyrics in all of them, the lyrics are just not good. And even the melodies are very forgettable. I do remember there are a couple decent ones. There's a song that Geppetto sings to like Carlo in the start. And like a song that Pinocchio sings like when like ruminating on his separation from his father. Because that happens in every Pinocchio story. And both of those were like okay from what I recall. But if you ask me to like sing a snippet of it. I don't remember what they sound like at all. Or any lyrics from them. Yeah. And that holds true for all of these. They range from forgettable to actually bad to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Normally I'm a huge musical theater person. You know this. I send you all of my playbill shots when I go to see musical theater stuff. If I say something shouldn't yeah. be a musical, it's bad. <laughs> it's There's very few films that are made worse by being a musical, and unfortunately, this was one of this them. This is one of them. I mean, it, it's only a couple points off of what is still, you know, good. And we're still going along. Pinocchio is learning how to be a real boy. And uh, we kind of get to the uh geppetto uh, not geppetto fuck uh we get into the uh stromboli slash honest john representative because they kind of mash the character up and it's count volpe which yeah they're kind of fused yeah volpe means fox and christoph waltz's design is fabulous because he actually looks like a fox like he has reddish hair that goes up in points that looks like ears it's so stylized but it's so perfect and um he is like the carnival master he's the one uh who lures pinocchio off to uh begin his path towards uh debauchery bad kiddedness um 
Oh, and I did kind of skip over one other character. It's, we have well, uh, I, I skipped over uh, Ron Perlman's character. I feel so bad. Uh, he's not important yet, but he comes back. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of ties into so what Count Volpe is really luring him into, and in this one, he doesn't have his like cat sidekick as he does in like the novel or the Disney version. He has a monkey called Spazatura, I believe, which literally translates to garbage. Yep, you're right. Um. And he, instead of luring Pinocchio in to just make, like, songs for profit, he is also making songs as propaganda, is what he's doing in his stage performances now. That's really his goal with taking him. Yeah, and what's kind of crazy, this is the crazy part, this is Kate Blanchett's character, Spazatura the monkey. I didn't believe the monkey that at who first. I think maybe has a few like speaking lines at one point but for the most part it's just generic monkey noises. It's Kate Blanchett making monkey noises in a microphone and I respect her for that. Well, you told me that she begged to be in this, right? Like she wanted to be just she just wanted to do anything. Yeah, yeah, I think in the behind the scenes there's a little behind the scenes thing they had maybe still have on Netflix of the making of this. She according to her, she begged del toro to be involved in any way she could and he was like do you want to be a monkey and she was like of course i do so she really she committed to that and i love that <laughs> i think that's hilarious and she i didn't know it was kate blanchett until i saw her in the credits i was like there is no fucking way she was in this movie and i didn't notice but there she it, is it's, it's honestly amazing 10 out of 10 no notes it's she's she's i mean she was also in nightmare alley did you see that I did not, unfortunately. It's really, really good. I only have to take one point off of Nightmare Alley because there's like a full like humanoid spider visual and we all know how I feel about spiders. Other than that, 10 out of 10, no <laughs> notes. Um, but yeah, they kind of fuse the characters together to make uh, Stromboli and Honest John like one character. If we're using the Disney version as reference, you have more... Uh, I didn't disclose this earlier, but I have actually not read the Pinocchio novel. I still haven't, and I'm I'm shocked that I haven't after being friends with you for so long. Um, <laughs> is uh, how close to the book is like this version of the, the fox? Not very. So um, I would say this is much closer to just being straight up Stromboli than anything. The fox kind of in the novel. He serves different purposes, um, like he, you know, he steals Pinocchio's money and like tricks him and like, oh, if you bury this, it'll grow money trees. And he actually hangs him from a tree. He murders the kid. It's a very different Jesus. character. Not even all that close to Honest John's role, I would say. This is more akin to the puppet master, straight up. Obviously still some major differences. Um, the the Stromboli adjacent character in the novel is far more sympathetic than this guy ever could be, but that's clearly more what he was influenced by. Yeah, it, it, it is cool to see how they kind of just make it all work together. Uh, but you've got him using Pinocchio. There is a puppet song. There's another song. Um, I don't remember anything about that song. I really don't. No, I don't. I remember the, I remember the shit song that's coming oh, up later, but that's about it. Song. Okay, another Pino Pinocchio conspiracy theory number two. Guillermo del Toro got a hold of Robert Zemeckis' <laughs> script and wrote the shit song in reference to that. 
It was a last second entry. I would buy that too. I would buy it. We're doing Welcome to the Pinocchio Conspiracy Hour. Um, we're we're, we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But yeah, Pinocchio is performing. Yada yada follows the same beats. Um, trying to think of what the next like difference is. Because, oh yeah, I forgot. Pinocchio fucking dies. Yeah, I was just gonna say, that's the next major beat I can think of. He, like, tries to get away from, like, being part of this, like, show. Like, he signed a contract and all, they're arguing about it. He runs into the road, gets hit by, I think it's the Podesta driving the truck. He gets full-on hit by that and straight-up dies. Like, actually ends up in a coffin. There are these rabbits that are actually the blue fairies. Um, In the original novel, they're the blue fairies, like undertakers or something like they when pinocchio dies in that they're like skeletal rabbits but like they take his coffin and bring that to not the realm of the blue fairy but of her sister literal death like actual just death as a concept there is death and i remember watching this and thinking very much that death felt like an homage to pan's labyrinth because it felt like oh that looks like the fawn um or it feels like the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth, which you watch Pan's Labyrinth, right? Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. This is where I think I realized, like, oh my god, this is way different than before. Because uh, up until now, we kind of were like, we're following similar story beats to both DLA and the OG 40s Pinocchio for Disney's side. Um, once we get to this point, it is way different from here on out. And I would really say this is one of the areas that way more closely follows the plot of the novel. There's not a ton, but there is far more novel inspiration in this than in either of Disney's versions, and this is one of those areas. I think with Death coming to talk to Pinocchio, this is like where it changed for me from following the plot of the Disney version, kind of, to going more towards its own thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is where it really starts to find a balance between pulling from the novel, because this death thing was not quite as recurring in the novel as in this version, but it that was a factor. The rabbits were a factor. But this really takes its... It, it takes a turn into being an entirely new plot when this death thing starts because slight spoiler alert this is going to keep happening pinocchio realizes very quickly that he cannot die permanently because of this enchantment he's got on him because he's not a real boy and so this is not the first time that we will not the only time rather that we will see death here but i think like the design of her realm like the sand motif the hourglasses is gorgeous and she has such a yeah, cool design like, we had the biblically accurate angel fairy earlier and then we have <laughs> like the pan's labyrinth fawn sphinx death design it, it, it kudos to the art department and the character design department for this because it's just so incredible and tilda swinton does voice both the wood sprite fairy and death it, it's oops all tilda swinton which i'm okay with that <laughs> um 
I think she did a really good job. So yeah, no the problem here. though with Pinocchio dying is the everybody remember the uh, Ron Perlman character that I forgot to mention. No, of course you didn't. I forgot to mention him. Ron Perlman plays the uh, kind of like the Podesta. He's like a government official, and because we are in the middle of 1930s Italy, there is a certain political party on the rise that the Podesta represents, he sees the idea of this boy who cannot die and wants to recruit Pinocchio into the Italian fascist army. That's an actual plot point. I'm not making this up. He realizes very quickly that this could be the perfect Italian soldier. He can't die. He's super... um success susceptible to suggestions you know you can if he can get this kid to fight for him then the war is won that's that's the plot that he's got in mind here and um it it leads to a somewhat interesting relationship between candlewick and pinocchio because candlewick being the podesta's son obviously wants to do whatever he can to earn his approval and here's this fucked up little puppet boy that gets it instantaneously without trying. So it does... I don't mind the setup here. I thought it was a, a decent setup. If we're going to lean into the setting, this is the way to set it up. Yeah, like... It, uh, Guillermo del Toro has always been, like, anti-war in, I think, most of his movies. Like, in Pan's Labyrinth, because you have, like, the whole idea of uh, the general just being like the worst dude of them all in shape of water the government and the army are the ones who are going to uh, destroy the amphibious creature so Guillermo del Toro's disdain for war and fascism is very much on the sleeve it is no no undertones oops all overtones um so the Podesta is not someone that we want to cheer for and uh Geppetto is very much against the idea of his son being used as a tool for war and a propaganda piece for war. Because like you said earlier, Count Volpe is using him as like a, as a little propaganda machine. It's so weird, but it does cause the yeah. one bonus on this one is Geppetto and Sebastian actually interact. And this is like the first time we ever see that happening at across any of the movies, right? Or does it happen in the Polly that Shore? Was, that was one part I really liked. It does not... Well, the Polly Shore case is different because the cricket is a horse. Um, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna really dive into that can of worms, but even in the like Disney live-action version, Jiminy and Geppetto only meet for like maybe a one-off line for all of two seconds and it doesn't matter, but Sebastian and Geppetto have a real, like, dare I say, friendship in this one in which Pinocchio essentially gets roped into this contract with um, with Count Volpe that he can't get out of where he's going to be performing shows across the country is just propaganda for um, Mussolini, who is voiced by Tom Kenny. <laughs> um, that is that is who he is playing in this. He's playing Mussolini. <laughs> but um, and so Geppetto has to go out and try and find where his son was taken to and bring him back home and Sebastian goes with him gives him a through through chewing out about you've been a kind of a shitty dad 
because Geppetto like blows up a Pinocchio after he comes back from the dead says essentially like what he's kind of been hinting at this whole film as he's been struggling with his grief is this isn't my son he doesn't act like Carlo Carlo is such a good kid and this boy is just trouble and he's getting into shit and I don't care for him as much as I did Carlo he's not what I want and so Pinocchio leaves to go pursue his propaganda dreams with Count Volpe and Geppetto immediately realizes he's fucked around and found out and goes with Sebastian to fix it and I love this segment where they've got they've got their own subplot going and Pinocchio is is getting deeper into the world that del Toro has built I thought everything up through here was like no notes really well designed and then things get weird because you think Mussolini's <laughs> just going to be kind of like a figure in the background. They talk about him, but they're not really going to put Benito Mussolini in a animated Pinocchio movie, right? <laughs> um, boy, howdy, was I sure wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so instead of the coachman and Pleasure Island... We have Benito Mussolini and recruiting for the child army of the fascists. I'm not making any of this but up. But first, when Pinocchio first meets him, he so he is set to perform like his little song and dance that he's been doing across the country directly like to Mussolini. And before he does that, the monkey Spezzatura um basically uses the puppets to like communicate with him. I, I'm not fully sure why that was a thing that he had to do, but he does, and he reveals, hey, none of the money that you thought you would be making for your father is getting sent to your father, you're just being used to fuel, like, war, like, this awful thing. And Pinocchio decides, fuck that, as he should, and he puts on a different show for Mussolini, <laughs> he, um, he puts on a whole song and dance about shit. That's, that's the joke, that's the punchline we here. We weren't kidding. We weren't kidding. We set it up and there's the punchline. Um, there's a literal shit show in this one, too. In DLA, <laughs> that was the shit show just in itself. In this one, they just put a shit show in it. And it is it is very hilarious how uh, Guillermo del Toro p depicts Mussolini because he is a tiny, tiny man and, like... He's, like, half the size of, like, the other adults. I don't remember if my history yeah. teacher ever mentioned how tall Mussolini was. We never got that detailed about it because we were more like, <laughs> Mussolini was bad. Do not listen to him. And we moved on. Um, but, yeah. yeah, they bring in Mussolini. <laughs> and his one line that he says that I just remember yeah. cackling is, I like puppets. And on one hand, I do think it's a great message to tell Mussolini to eat shit as he deserves. But, like, it was so, I guess, like, tonally jarring to just have a whole song literally about shit. I, and then, um, well, after that whole aptly put shit show, uh, Mussolini orders Pinocchio, Pinocchio to get shot point blank. And when he revives from the dead again, he is in the back of the Podesta's truck getting sent to this youth camp. That's... 
Yeah, that's how we get into yeah. that's the Pleasure Island equivalent here. Literally, they're going to a training camp for fascist youths to learn how to fight in the army. Uh, Candlewick is there, the Podesta is there, and it is the pinnacle of fascist, brutalist architecture. Like, Pleasure Island is a yep. 1900s carnival, like Coney Island style fantasy theme park this is the absolute complete opposite end of that spectrum it is gray mm -hmm. which despite it being so strange i will argue that they film it and shoot it perfectly because like all the gray architecture the gray rock the gray everything sucks all of the color out of everything around it and it it, yep. it does a great effect there it's still really weird, but I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Um, and it does make it more impactful when... So their training exercises involve things that the boys think are games. It's like capture the flag. It's like paintball. And the like, bright colors of those aspects stand out against the architecture going on. And it kind of, at least I felt, it makes you understand more that like these are just kids... Candlewick and Pinocchio end up becoming really good friends as they're doing all this and it's just so heavily contrasted by the environment they're in and like the adults surrounding them. Yeah like during their game of capture the flag where Candlewick is on one team and Pinocchio is on the other they end up reaching the tower at the same time and they just start laughing because they both won uh, and they tie both of their flags. They're supposed to, like, raise their team's color on top of the flag. They tie their flags together and raise it together. So they both won. But Podesta basically is like, nah, both of you boys failed the point. And Podesta <laughs> gives his son, Candlewick, a gun and says, shoot the puppet. And these are all little boys. These are all, like, school-aged boys right next to him. Yeah. And... You can see it because of the camera work and because of the, uh, like, the actual physical presence of these puppets. You can see the emotion in Candlewick's face. But we have reached true bizarro territory. We're in full fascist Pinocchio. Especially as the air raids. Yeah, stands. and this is, this is around where I kind of think it starts to not be as well tied together as it was because by this point Geppetto and Sebastian are out of the picture entirely like with the Disney version we still have another act to get to there is still the monster equivalent to consider so they are a little preoccupied with that and we haven't seen them in like maybe 15-ish minutes now and we are so entangled in the war plot that's going on that it it feels like it veered into a different movie for a hot second like it was very cohesively implemented up until around here and this is where things just start to happen yeah yeah um especially yeah. with like podesta grabbing his own son saying you are no son of mine and throwing candlewick in a ditch essentially and then all the coloring turns red yeah. and it, you, you get a sense of danger here, especially with like all the red and the air raid and the falling ash. I think it's ash that's falling in that scene. It looks like snow. I think so. Yeah. It's the camp gets like bombed and um, I believe the Podesta literally explodes. I think he gets like tied up in like a, a climbing net or something and the yeah. bomb drops 
directly onto him just in front of all these in front of all these boys yeah but somehow pinocchio and oh yeah pinocchio gets launched out cartoon style um i don't remember what happened to candlewick candlewick lives doesn't he candlewick he like shows up on the cliff and like waves at him or something just like a hey i'm alive and then we never see him again it never mentions what happens to him now that his father has been blown to pieces i it it just kind of that's another um dropped ball i think is the whole build-up to this logically there is no way any of those boys should have lived um but that's uh we're not cinemasins and it doesn't matter that they did it should have it should have been more of a point that he survived and you do something with that character that you've been building up but i understand there is a lot of ideas going on here and a lot to get through so again things get cut but i wish it was better implemented moving forward that's my only real thought here. oh yeah uh <laughs> we get uh the return of count volpe strapping pinocchio to some wood which looks like a cross so the pinocchio jesus imagery comes back <laughs> it comes earlier there's a bit where he's in the church and he sees everyone is they're big fans of like the jesus statue that like geppetto is carving out of wood and he goes why do they like him but not me it's kind of a one-off thing and then it like comes back for this bit and i will be honest this was another thing that i didn't think was implemented well because it doesn't it's not really super relevant to anything else yeah it's just kind of random um, but Pinocchio is there and he's burning because Count Volpe wants to set him on fire, which again, all of it feels like it's all coming out of nowhere, but it gives Spazzatura the opportunity for their redemption arc. They attack Volpe, free Pinocchio, uh, cause Pinocchio needs a friend to get him to the monster equivalent because Sebastian's still chilling with, uh, Geppetto. And I'm trying to remember how they even get there. I think, I don't know if this is me misremembering or not, but I think they do like the super speed foot paddling thing in this one too. I hope I'm wrong. And they don't do that twice. But I literally think they just like sail out on the cross. Oh, they do. They sail out on the cross. (laughs) They use it as like a little boat, both Pinocchio and Spazzatura at this point. Um, They're out on the ocean. There's a minefield and they come to an island which is monstro again not a whale more sea monster still cool um and here's where we can kind of go a little out of order this is where we had our nose grows lying scene which it it shocked me that i didn't realize yeah we totally forgot that oh yeah pinocchio is supposed to do with the thing with the lying (laughs) and yeah, that's not. It's not really a thing that comes up before this point, or maybe it does once, but it's very brief and not really. It does come up once before. Yes, it's when they're. I do remember it, that it's now. When they're at the but carnival, it was so right? brief that. Right yeah. before Pinocchio gets killed. See, it's that impactful. We both forgot about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pinocchio's inside Monstro with Spazzatura, and they find and reunite with geppetto and sebastian uh which inside this monstro is crazy like it gave me a lot of the same vibes from monstro in the kingdom hearts games where like there are different levels i was just gonna say kingdom hearts there's a 
Yeah, and it's all there's like the moving. Whole boat, gross. and then there's the lighthouse. Yeah, this one is way more disgusting than the other one. Like this one is one where it like oh, it yeah, actually very... looks like stomach acid is in there, and not just seawater. Yeah, it does. But um, so similar to the DLA Pinocchio in this one, the nose growing lying thing is used to their advantage, where they realize that if he grows it long enough, they can escape through an unknown orifice of Monstro. We're just going to call it so the they use the lying... for the sake of keeping the show <laughs> somewhat decent. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it that. Um, but they use that to, like, they climb up the branches that he, like, makes from lying, and they're able to escape that way. So it's the same yeah, sort which... of... You know, it's better. But there's more setup to this one where it's he knew he could lie before. He learned his lesson once already with this. Geppetto tells him off for lying. So I feel like he's earned the right to use it now. Oh, one other thing that we totally both forgot is Pinocchio can break his nose, like, off of his face. That's how he resets. I just realized that. Yeah, he actually, he gets dealt quite a bit of damage in this. Like, his feet burn off near, like, the beginning. He loses an arm at some point. Like, he he kind of gets a little fucked up. Yeah, like, a lot. But it, it's <laughs> at least consistent, and they stick with it. Like, I, I remember going back and seeing, like, oh, yeah, his feet are still the same detached feet from the ones that got put on earlier. Like, they're the replacement feet. They don't forget it, and they don't incorrectly use the wrong puppet which you know i gotta give people points for consistency where i see it because it's really easy to fuck that kind of shit up oh yeah for sure but they they get the lying thing uh a lot better here we just happen to forget about it with the carnival thing just because there's (laughs) there's a lot going on in this movie there's a lot a lot going on here um but yeah, they escape Monstro. We have a similar escape chase ocean scene to what's done in every other correct Pinocchio movie. Uh, I hate to go back to it since we're technically not talking about it. Do they do this in the Polly Shore version? Do they have a whale chase? No, I don't believe so. Um, the only thing about this one is they decide to include mines from like a minefield. So there's like, you know, explosives everywhere. And yeah, I actually think that's how they like defeat quote unquote monster on this one is like he swallows like a mine and Pinocchio like blows it up. Yeah, Pinocchio's on the mine and he's uh, like right there and tries to lure uh, monster jumps onto the mine, eats it. Pinocchio's inside and they set it off while Spazzatura and Geppetto look on and and uh, Sebastian. They all just look on in (laughs) horror that, oh, my God. Pinocchio just blew up. <laughs> yeah. And um, then we get to... So the conclusion was actually interesting in that it kind of took notes from both Pinocchio versions in that... So Pinocchio dies first. He dies from that. He goes back to death and he realizes that Geppetto is still back there in the ocean, injured and drowning and that he won't get back in time because there's a timer. There's an hourglass that has to reset fully before Pinocchio can come back to life. He realizes he won't make it in time to save his father and death gives him the option of you can turn yourself real. You can turn yourself mortal by breaking this glass, but if you die again, it's going to be for good, but you can 
you can give up your life, your immortality to save him if that's what you want. And obviously, yes, that's what he chooses. Um, so he gets brought back and is able to save Geppetto, but at the cost of dying for good this time. I think he drowns, maybe? I'm not fully clear on how he dies a second time around. Pinocchio just fucking dies. It's an all-of-the-above answer where it could all be <laughs> whale trauma, it can be <laughs> drowning, it can just be intense stress. It's kind of all-of-the-above. But yeah. yeah, yeah, Pinocchio gets a little bit more of an agency with this one, and I kind of liked that over the original, although... Like, the 40s version, Pinocchio is just brave. He's just, I'm going to save my father. There's no ulterior motive. There's no rules. He's just like, I'm going to do this. In the DLA yeah. one, it's it's really hampered by the tangled ending. Like, it, it just, there's no consequence <laughs> for him. He doesn't die. He's there. Yeah. Geppetto's there. Nobody has any consequences. In this one, I feel he gets at yeah. least... A little bit more agency than DLA, if not as much as the original, where he's like, I'm going to make this choice to yeah. be brave, even if it's at the cost of my life. And I actually feel that that's true for just about all the characters, because um, here at the end, um, Geppetto, like the wood sprite, blue fairy, comes back and Geppetto begs like, hey, <laughs> he just went through all of this. He was such a good kid he gave his life for me can you bring him back and she's like sorry bud no can do but um with one caveat when sebastian first accepted this job as pinocchio's quote-unquote conscience um she basically bribed him into it by saying you can have one wish you can get your book published you can get a bigger house whatever you want man you get one wish if you do this and so Sebastian, actually, at the end, he bargains and he says, I did my best to teach him and he did his best. And I think he earned, I think he earned another chance. Can I use my one wish to give that to him? And I, on one hand, I didn't fully feel that Sebastian had been in the story enough to earn the wish because like I like we mentioned he kind of drops off the face of the earth when the monster thing happens and like the youth camp so I wish we had seen more of him earning that because they have maybe two chats and there could have been a lot more Pinocchio's growth felt like it came on his own not necessarily through Sebastian but I won't complain that it was set up very well and it is an emotional payoff that worked Oh, 100% agreed. It's not some weird bullshit when you wish upon a star tier. Um, it is the... Yeah. <laughs> I will die mad at that. And I think you will too. <laughs> Knowing you, we'll both die mad Don't at that. Don't get me started again. Yeah. Yeah. But I 100% agree with that. Like, I would have loved to have seen more Sebastian and Pinocchio. Or just Cricket and Pinocchio in general. Because that goes for, like, both of these. They are a, like, duo. You really can't have one without the other. Yeah. You can kind of have Jiminy on his own, but Pinocchio doesn't work well as on his own. Because, um, like, you know, they put Jiminy in the shorts with Disney. But they work best when they're a team. They work best when Pinocchio is yeah. learning from Jiminy and uh, Jiminy or Cricket, whatever. Cricket learns from the puppy. He's like, oh, I still have things to learn. 
that's the best of the two that that's the best dynamic and they did definitely like get that energy here like you there is that they learn from each other it's just i felt like it could have been showcased more thoroughly because to use the original disney one as an example again they're with each other through every event like sometimes they are occasionally separated but it's not for very long and then they're back together again whereas like the whole stromboli equivalent here the whole pleasure island equivalent here most of the monster equivalent here they are completely separated and those lessons aren't being learned together and i thought that was a bit detrimental to the ending they were going for as good as it was yeah like like you were saying with the original they're together for the almost the entire thing and only occasionally separated whereas i think the major mistake that both of these kind of make one more than the other is that they're occasionally together, but mostly separated. To yeah, different that's degrees. a good way to put it. Yeah. Yes. To different degrees. Like yeah. I, I would say Sebastian is definitely more involved than uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's cricket, but yeah, they're still the best parts of their respective movies. That we can at least agree upon. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, but in the end here, we get a much more satisfying payoff. Pinocchio is brought back to life because, you know, loopholes in contracts. And Geppetto <laughs> gets his third, fourth, fifth chance with his son. His little wooden boy. Yeah. And um, it is interesting to note... Um, another similarity, big similarity to the DLA version, Pinocchio doesn't become human in this. He becomes real by becoming mortal, but he is still the same little puppet guy. And he even like doesn't age or like damage severely just like before. Um, if he dies again, it'll be his last death. That is made clear, but he's still a non-human puppet. And the real emotional like climax of that is that Geppetto accepts him and loves him for that. Because it was made very clear early on that he wanted Carlo back, not this thing. And so having there be an actual setup and payoff of him thinking Pinocchio is good enough just being a puppet was leagues better than whatever they hinted at in the Disney version. Oh, 100%. I will admit, I got a little bit emotional when Guillermo del Toro, uh, Geppetto, just went, I love you exactly the way you are. And Pinocchio just reaches up saying, then I will be your Pinocchio and you will be my papa. Will that do? That that got me way more than humming When You Wish Upon a Star. Don't get me wrong. I love that song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all of my heart. But that one moment made me love it just a little bit less dirty. that day. They did it so dirty. It was so dirty. <laughs> but yeah, that is basically where the story concludes. We have two little wooden boys, one more approachable than the other, one occasionally missing limbs, uh, one occasionally. I will say there shit. was. There was a bit of an additional end cliff note to the del toro one which is that you see what happens after the ending and it is everyone else dies geppetto dies of old age eventually spazatora dies sebastian dies 
Pinocchio is left on his own to just wander the world. And it's kind of a really bittersweet ending because they had all this time to together. End this on but... a high note, you just had to remind <laughs> me that everybody dies. I'm sorry. What the hell, man? Yeah, everyone dies at the end except Pinocchio. He's he's still hanging around. Yeah, there's somewhere out there in the hills of fascist Italy a little wooden puppet. Um, everybody dies. Literally, just everybody dies. <laughs> Yeah. I was trying to end it on a happy hey, note. Hey, it still ends. It ends on a high note because Sebastian um, gets to sing his little song during the credits that he was trying <laughs> to sing all movie long. So it still works I, out. Although on that note, there is one notable thing with the death thing. With Sebastian's death, notably, um, Pinocchio puts him in a little matchbox and puts that back in his heart. So he always has the cricket near his heart. Oh yeah, that was cute. I forgot yeah, about that detail. It, it, that was cute. It's morbid. Because when you think about it, there's like a dead body <laughs> in his heart. Yeah. yeah. Just think about that for just a second. <laughs> wow, that is a <laughs> weird note. I want to end it on a happier thing because like on the end, we have two Pinocchio movies where one is absolute trash fire, maybe occasional drinking game. This one is definitely beautiful, and I'm glad it got the Oscar for Best Animated Picture because, you know, stop-motion animation deserves more love, more recognition, more budgets, more appreciation, more everything. Oh, yes. But I feel like it just reached, especially with, like, the weird turns it took, we reached so close to the sun that we got a little bit burned. Yeah, that's how I would put it, too. And it is a shame because... Like I said, this was a Del Toro passion project. He'd wanted to do this for years and years and years. This was in development hell. Um, and you can see how much heart there is in it. Everyone puts their all into it. The animators, the voice actors, Del Toro especially. It is very well crafted in all of those regards. It just tries to do a little bit too much. And it ends up being a little jumbled which is a shame because 95% of it is almost flawless, I would say. It is one of the best Pinocchio adaptations I've ever seen. I would agree with that. I, I, to me, my gold standard still and probably will always be the 40s version with Disney. But this one came oh, yeah. really damn close. Just really damn close. And Yeah, it did. I, it just... It, it, it was just interesting to see Disney and Netflix go head to head. Round one with Jungle Book, I would clearly say that Disney won. However, with this one and the live action being such a horrendous misstep, Netflix won this round. So I'm just waiting to see what is the next Easily. time. I'm waiting to see what the next time uh, Disney does a live action movie as well as Netflix do it at the same time. I want to see that live uh I want to see that head-to-head. -head. Right? And it's actually... It's impressive how good Del Toro's was in comparison to Disney's in particular because Disney had everything going for them. They had the iconic soundtrack. They had the iconic characters. They had a great director as well. Like, everyone is expecting it to be at least decent. And they fumbled it so hard that, like, I'm still astonished. And it just... I guess, like, the Del Toro one was fantastic on its own already, but when you compare it to what Disney tried to put it up against, 
it's even more impressive how much care was put into this when absolutely zero care was put into Disney's one of their most beloved properties. I am kind of hoping that Disney stops with the live actions, but then just recently the Moana live action was Aren't we all? announced. We have Lilo and Stitch in development. With the same goddamn cast. I was so hoping the Ugh. Moana one was an April Fool's Day joke. It was so close to April Fool's Day. I was hoping it was Me just a too. joke. Me too. Me too. But as long as there are Disney live action remakes, we will be here to roast the shit out of them. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank, <sighs> first of all, Kai, thank you so much for talking about crickets with me for about however long this ends up being. Um, I really enjoyed doing this with you, man. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I This is obviously a topic that I am passionate about, and it was a ton of fun. 10 out of 10 would do it again, just not with this specific live-action remake. Who knows? We may be back again to talk about some more movies. But until then, you'll want to find the dudes on their social media. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram under Two Dudes One Double Feature. Find them on Twitter. Uh, Kai, do you have any self promotion you want to drop? I don't. Not particularly. <laughs> I'm kind of. I'm a boring designer. I'm a boring writer. I don't have public socials. So find me here maybe in the future that's the best i can give you same um ladies and gentlemen until next time this has been a two dudes one double feature takeover we will see you eventually Bye bye thank you all for listening to two dudes one double feature please follow us on instagram facebook and twitter special shout out as always to john and kenny armstrong thank you guys for everything you do we love you both so much and of course stay tuned for a brand new episode of two dudes one double feature extremely heavily president yes president <laughs> precedent Pres- <laughs> present present it is extremely yeah you got <laughs> it we edit this out please <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> present <laughs> <laughs>